Some of us are like the eye, some of us are like the mouth, some of us are like the feet. But it is really uh, important that you realize that you're just as much part of the church and just as important in the church as your parents or anyone else. And it's really good to see you here, and it's, it's good that we're able to share together. But I want us all just to, to consider this, to look at this idea of you are the body of Christ. I think that uh, God is at work in our midst, and I think that it's really, really interesting, the people whom God brings. Um, we had the privilege tonight, uh, the Kirk session, the elders, we, we met together with Richard and um, Richard and, and Sylvie and their family. It, it's been fantastic to have them worshiping with us and sharing with us. And this morning, um, I met people from Poland and from Malaysia and from Dundee even as well, and uh, people from different backgrounds, people who from different church backgrounds and from different social backgrounds. Even in a small church like this, there's just this enormous variety of people. And that's fantastic. And you think, how, how do you get Irish people and Scottish people and American people and Malaysian people and Hungarian people and German people and men and women and young and old and rich and poor? How do you get them all to be together? And the answer is, because our center and our focus is on Jesus Christ. And that's what we do. Uh, that's what I hope that we're based upon in, in the church. But it's always easy to get shifted away from the center. And the church that we're reading about in Corinthians, that was a church that had got shifted away from the center. It was still a Christian church, but it was beginning to get in a lot of trouble. And that's why Paul wrote this. So, um, I normally have a sermon that has three points. This one has 17 points, okay? But I'll make it very, very brief. Honestly, I'll try and do it a minute per point. So, you can time me if you want. There were 10 things that were wrong with the church in Corinth. 10 things that were going wrong. And sometimes we can see that happening amongst ourselves. You see that happening in the body of Jesus Christ. And if you think about the image of the body then when one part suffers, the rest suffer. I'll not go into any great details, but I have a sore toe and I need to go and see a podiatrist or I need you to come and clean my toes, but you probably don't want to do that. That's taking foot washing a bit far. It, but when I have a sore toe, it doesn't matter if the rest of my body feels healthy. That message communicates to all of your brain. And I think that uh, you can find within a church within the body of God's people, that when there are things that are wrong, that has a ripple effect that goes throughout. And in Corinth, uh, we, we see 10 things. I'm just going to name them, the problems. Now, if you want to check on all of this, I'm not going to reference them all, but as you read through 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians, but particularly 1 Corinthians, you'll see these 10 things listed. Number one was this, division based upon personalities. Some people were saying, I follow Paul, because Paul had helped start the church. Other people said, I follow Apollos, because by all accounts, Apollos was a better preacher, and Paul had gone away, and Apollos was there effectively as the minister at that point. And then there were other people who said, well, I follow Peter, because Peter's the distant hero. 
And then there were others who said, well, we don't follow human personalities, we follow Jesus. And they were the super spiritual ones who thought that they were better than everybody else. It was a division based upon personalities. And a church always gets in trouble when that is the case. Our focus has to be on Christ. Secondly, there was division based upon snobbery. You read through 1 Corinthians and you see that there are some people who thought that they were wiser than others, they were better educated than others. And other people thought that they were better because they were wealthier than others. And again, sometimes you find that that happens in a church where people from particular background, they may think because they've got more money or because of the education that they've had, that they feel inherently superior. And that creates a tremendous division, a division based upon snobbery. Thirdly, there was worldliness. Paul says that they were not able to take meaty teaching, solid teaching, because they'd not put into practice the basic milk of the word. In other words, they'd been taught basic Christianity. They'd become Christians, but they hadn't matured. And as a result, there was complaining, there was idolatry, there were all kinds of problems. And it is possible for a Christian church to be overtaken by worldliness, where our, um, what we mean by that is, you have to be careful with that word, but in effect it means instead of following the principles of Jesus Christ, we follow the principles of the society around us. Fourthly, there was a problem in triumphalism. They thought they were really it. We are the people. We already have all that we want. We are already rich. And a church is always in tremendous danger at two levels. A level when people give up and say, oh, everything's so bad and everything's so desperate. And then at another level where people go, we've made it, we've arrived. If you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, then it stops you being triumphalistic and it stops you being defeatist. Defeatist, you say, oh, we just can't do anything, we can't carry on. Triumphalistic saying, we can do everything. We leave Christ out of it. That church, the Corinthian church, had that problem. Number five, there was sexual immorality. Paul's very explicit. He says, a man was sleeping with his father's wife, with his stepmother, and the people in the church were saying, we're quite tolerant about this. We don't care. You know, we're people who love one another, and we, and, and, you know, we, we share, and all this kind of stuff, and we, we don't want to be judgmental. Now, the Corinthian society was a very sexually immoral society, and it was very difficult to live within that society and within that culture without taking on a great deal of that. But when the church does take on the culture around in that respect, it ends up in enormous trouble. Paul says, don't judge the people outside the church, judge them inside. In other words, Christians are to live by a different standard. You are the body of Christ. And that's why in this letter you get some tremendous teaching about how when you sin sexually, you sin against your own body, and because you are connected as part of the body of Christ, you're sinning against the whole church. Number six, there was a problem because there were lawsuits among believers. Paul is absolutely astounded by this. Why, why are you calling in unbelievers to judge issues among yourselves? Why wouldn't you rather be wronged? And yet that's happened over and over again in the history of the church. 
I think this is number seven, or this even might be number seven, six. I've lost count, never mind. There were arguments about religious practice, food offered to idols. Now, what was happening there was very simple. Every single piece of meat sold in the marketplace was, first of all, offered to idols. And then people would come and they would buy it for their sausages or whatever it is they were going to have. And there was an argument about, should you eat food that's been offered to idols? Should you eat meat? Should you eat this meat? And Paul says, look, actually, you've got the freedom to eat it because an idol's nothing. And you're not sacrificing to that idol. So, you know, that's not a problem. However, he said, it is a problem if by you eating it, there's a, a weaker Christian who, who looks and says, wait a minute, they've started offering to idols. So he says, you have to think about the context in which you're in. Yes, you have the freedom, but be quite careful. So there were arguments about religious practice. And again, when a church takes its eyes off Christ, that can very often be the case. Then there was chaos in worship. We're going to have uh, communion this evening. And uh, sometimes people would, might say, let's go back to the New Testament. You don't want to go back to Corinth. Because in Corinth, when they had communion, people got drunk. People were feasting and drinking at the Lord's table. They would have a communal meal together. And Paul describes it, and you can read this in 1 Corinthians, of how some people were coming and they were the rich people and they were bringing, in effect, their massive hampers and their big picnic baskets and stuffing themselves. And other people were living off Rivita or, you know, just little anything, just a tiny, small thing. So you had one part of the room... uh, filling themselves up, and another part hardly having anything. Worse than that, there were people who came and they got drunk at the Lord's table. It was chaos in worship in Corinth. There was the abuse of spiritual gifts. If you read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, especially chapter 14, you find a great deal of reference to prophecy and tongues, not because Uh, Paul wishes to forbid the practice, nor because he wishes to exalt it, but he's just trying to regulate it because it had become absolutely chaotic. Their worship was completely disorderly. Now, you can have worship that is so rigid and formal and uh, that it's just dead, it's just ritual, but you can also have worship that's completely chaotic. Um, Sometimes, and I'm sure some of you here have had the same experience, sometimes I go places and I think, what is happening here? And people say, well, it's the spirit. And, you know, no, I don't think so. It's just sometimes it is um, crazy, really crazy. Disorderly worship. So there was chaos in worship. Ninthly, there was denial of doctrine. Some people were saying the resurrection has already occurred. It's already happened. Um, They didn't mean the resurrection of Jesus. They meant the spiritual resurrection of God's people. And they denied that believers, when they died, that their bodies physically rose. Because they denied also the physical resurrection of Jesus. So a church, that was another attack upon the body of Christ. And then lastly, there was a lack of generosity. That also was an attack on the body of Christ. Where people were being greedy. They weren't sharing. They weren't having fellowship, because the, the word for fellowship, koinonia, does mean sharing, and they weren't sharing in that way. 
They were just giving God the spare change in their pockets. They were keeping everything for themselves. So those ten things, division based upon personalities, division based upon snobbery, worldliness, triumphalism, sexual immorality, lawsuits, arguments about religious practice, chaos in worship, denial of doctrine, and lack of generosity were killing the church. And it would kill us, and it still happens. And we have to watch out for these things. But Paul offers his solution. The solution offered in, uh, again, these particular these chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And again, I want to mention them and uh, point them out and uh, hopefully apply them as we think about what it is to recognize the body of Christ. Number one, the solution to these problems, number one, is that there must be unity in the body. Verse 12, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. The body is a unit. There is only one body. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read of the seven unities. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. It is absolutely essential and it is absolutely vital that we preserve and we seek unity. And that is why the devil does his utmost to destroy unity. It is like a family, isn't it? The Christian family. What's the worst thing, one of the worst things that can happen in your life? When your family are disunited. When your mom and your dad are constantly fighting. When your kids keep falling out with one another. When brother is set against sister. When uh, son is set against father. When children are set against parents. It's just devastating on the whole family unit. I mean, we, we, we fight. Of course we fight. Every single human family fights, unless you're the Waltons. And if you don't know who the Waltons are, don't worry. Um, and even then, actually, if I remember rightly, they fought, but they got over it fairly quickly. But there's a unity there. In the Christian church, we dislike things. We rub one another up the wrong way. We say things that are wrong. If you, it, it, Really, if you want to live in a plastic church where you pretend that everything is fine, you won't last very long or it will always be incredibly superficial. But back on planet Earth in the real church, it's difficult to have unity. And the only way to have unity is to recognize that in actual fact, we are one body. And we don't pick and choose. It's an absolute blasphemy in the church where you get churches that are divided according to personality, style, and so on, and say, well, I, I quite like that group, and I'd like to be in that part, and I'd like to do this, and that's the kind of church that I would want. The unity of the church is incredibly precious, and I have to say, I, I really appreciate it. I've been in this church for 19 years, and boy, we've seen some things, and it's not always been sweetness and light, but I am immensely thankful that there is a basic unity amongst us which sometimes comes under severe strain. But thank the Lord that it is still there and it is essential. 
Verse 13, you need not just body unity, you need body initiation. Verse 13, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. When a baby is born, the human body is conceived and born with its members intact. The Christian body is different. We become members of the body through spirit baptism. He says we're baptized in the spirit rather than by the spirit. And what's happening is God is creating new life within people. People are being born again. And as they are born again, they are born into the church of Jesus Christ. There's a sense when we um, met with Richard, for example, earlier, and we talked about him becoming a member of St. Peter's. We weren't really saying he's becoming a member of the body of Christ because when he became a Christian, he became a member of the body of Christ. But we're just recognizing what is already the situation, recognizing it and accepting it. Well, for the body of Christ to remain intact in any one situation, one of the things, in fact, I would say the only prerequisite we can ask is that we recognize people who are born again by the Spirit of God. I don't like the way that churches get labeled in, in, in different ways. And one of the things I don't like is labeling churches charismatic or non-charismatic. Um, this is a charismatic church. I don't see how you can be a church without being charismatic. Charismatic simply means gifts of grace, gifts of the Holy Spirit, the charisma. Any church without the Holy Spirit is not a Christian church. It's by the Spirit we are baptized into the one body. Now, I realize that the label charismatic is being used to refer to churches which have a particular emphasis on particular gifts. That's just wrong. You could have an emphasis on a gift and yet not actually really be charismatic. But here we're saying that the body is, is, is a gift of grace and it's brought together by the Holy Spirit. You join as God's Spirit works in your life. Number three, verses 14 to 20 of chapter 12. The body has diversity. The body is not made up of one part, but of many. There's one body, but it's not one part. And Paul, in I think what is a very humorous passage, uh, talks out about things like, if, because I'm not, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. There was great diversity in the city of Corinth itself. There were Jews, there were Greeks, it was a seaport, there were slaves, there were free and within the church, that was also reflected. Each member of the body has a different function, and each function is important and must be performed. Some people think that when you become a Christian, it's like you're losing your personality. You're losing your gifts. You're becoming part of this amorphous blog. You're becoming clones almost. You dress the same way, you think the same way, you talk the same way, you learn the language of Zion, you, you know, and, and you do get churches that are like that. But we don't have a uniform in this church. Um, we don't have a uniform language and we have many, many different abilities and many, many different gifts. 
And imagine if one of you was to say, well, because I can't sing, I can't lead the praise, I'm not part of the body. Because I don't preach, I'm not part of the body. Because I can't do this and can't do that, I'm not part of the body. The whole point about the Christian body is there has to be great diversity. I find it ironic that in our culture, the word diversity is such a positive word and people say we're looking for diversity. And yet our culture finds it very, very difficult to have diversity. In attempting to have diversity, we often create apartheid. By that, we mean separate development of different groups. The one place you should, of necessity, get diversity is in the Christian church. Within the security of the body, each person finds their own individuality. That's not individualism, but we're encouraging people to diversify and to develop their own gifts for the good of the whole. Sometimes it happens, um, not as often as I would like, but sometimes it happens. Someone comes along to the church and they're new and they say straight away, I'd like to help. What can I do? Well, what do you do? What do you like? What? It, it's incredible. Every time people are added, then there is something that is uh, added on, something that is, is, is changed and developed, and hopefully it's molded on Christ. I know that sometimes people say, well, you can tell a church and the church is reflected in the personality of the pastor. Well, you're in for a complete disaster if any of you reflect my personality, and I really mean that. That would just be the biggest disaster to hit uh, this church. Sometimes I've seen it that you meet somebody and you listen to the way that they talk and the words that they use and even their mannerisms, and you go, whoa, I know what church you go to. That's probably quite sad. Um, I hope, I have no idea what it would look like if, we, if there was a St. Peter's mannerism or way of speaking. I, I hope that that's not the case because we value and we want diversity. Number four, equality. Verses 21 to 26, there is equality. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now, what Paul is saying here is very much reflected in the culture of the time and perhaps in our own. He's saying importance is not based upon appearance. Importance is equally distributed. The early church fathers used to argue that there was a divine design of the human body and that the eyes, nose, and mouth do not need to be covered because they have the quality of beauty and attraction within themselves, but that the other parts are made more beautiful by clothing. Uh, there's an interesting passage in John Calvin where he's talking about um, seduction and so on. And he said, it would be much, much better for some women to walk around completely naked uh, rather than clothe themselves in the way that they do. Um, and he's basically saying, because if we saw them completely naked, it would put us off. Uh, that, uh, but whether Calvin was right or wrong in that, he was just pointing out that we, we um, cover... Our bodies, we desire desire, uh, to make ourselves attractive in some way or other by the clothing that we wear. And that there are parts of our body we feel we don't need to cover. And there are other parts we feel we do need to cover. And he's saying that the parts that we consider to be weaker, we give special attention. And he's using that analogy within the church to say, 
there are some parts of the body, some people within the church who feel that they are weak, who feel that they are useless. And he says, listen, God gives them special honor. God equalizes. The church is an equal society. It's not a hierarchical society. You don't have this thing where you have, you know, pope and archbishops and bishops and so on and clergy and laity, nor minister, elders, deacons, members, adherents, and so on. There's an essential equality. Now, that's not an equality of function. It's just an equality of the fact that we are all human beings made in the image of, of, of God. The idea is that it's all mixed together to give equality. All members of the church should receive equality of recognition and honor. Why? To prevent division, to prevent conflict of interest or an inferiority, superiority complex. No member of the body should be praised or neglected at the expense of others. Now, what that means is not that you don't thank people for what they do or that you lie and thank people for what they haven't done. It just means that you have an equal concern for people. And there should be a mutual concern for one another. Believers should not compete against one another, but should love and minister to each other. Galatians 6, verses 1 to 6. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor, and so on. We need each other. Romans 12, 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. When we are sitting at the Lord's table and we're recognizing the body of Christ, what we're doing is saying we all belong to one another. In that sense, the Christian church is incredibly inclusive. Inclusive because we don't decide, you know, I'll pick you as my brother or sister. We are. That's just the way that it is. And you don't have, I mean, from my point of view, you don't have the option of looking at me and saying, well, I'll, I'll, I'll treat David like a brother, or I won't, depending on how he treats me or whatever. No. We are. We are united in Christ. Fifth way that we overcome all these things is by this recognition of the body of Christ. In verse 27, you are the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. The theologian Bittlinger says this, in order to accomplish his work on earth, Jesus had a body made of flesh and blood. In order to accomplish his work today, Jesus has a body that consists of living human beings. I think it's so important that we recognize and see ourselves as being the body of Christ. What matters is not us, but Jesus. And when we take communion this evening, that is what we are stating. Sixthly, just two more to go, verses 28 to 31, uh, it's a body ministry. God expects each of the parts to work together and gives each part gifts to be used for his glory and to build up the whole body. You do not have a gift 
that is designed to build up yourself. It is for the whole body. The Holy Spirit is the one who appoints. It does matter what we do and how we do it. Again, there's a big argument that Christians have about spiritual gifts as they're speaking in tongues today, for example, or as they're not. And I get asked about that a lot. And my answer is simply this. I don't really care. And here's why. I believe that the Holy Spirit is sovereign, not me, not the church, not anyone else. I believe that the Spirit can give whatever gifts he wishes and that he's given us guidelines. And I can't read anywhere in the Bible that the Spirit says, speaking in tongues, that's going to stop or it has stopped. But nor do I read anywhere in the Bible that um, speaking in tongues is seen as a mark of being a particularly spiritual person or every Christian you know, should speak in tongues. Don't find that. I don't find the division in a church between those who've got the baptism of the Spirit and those who don't. I find that we all have to be baptized by the Spirit into the one body. And the bottom line is, if it would be for the good of the whole body and glorify Christ and bring, and, and, and bring the gospel to other people, then there's no problem with any of these spiritual gifts. But if you start thinking, this is about me and how I personally feel and how I can personally be reassured and so on, you've got it wrong. That's not what the Bible says. It is the Spirit who appoints. We're not called to serve alone, nor does one of us have all of the gifts. I listened to a sermon this week in which somebody was trying to argue from this passage that all of us should have all these gifts. Now, it's a direct contradiction of the passage. And it's just not the case. We are to desire the gifts, not that make us seem important or special, but we are to desire the gifts that build up the church. I've heard many people pray for the gift of tongues. I've heard many people pray for the gift of healings. I've never once in my life heard anyone pray, Lord, give me the gift of administration. Maybe marry. <laughs> no. <laughs> but you never, you, you know, who, who prays for that? But which could be more useful? You know, think about it. Think about what's involved. There's a body ministry. Ask God to give you gifts to use to help his church. And then the last is probably the most important. There's a cement there. We, we didn't read it, but 1 Corinthians 13. I will show you the most excellent way. And it's the way of love. God gave some, says Paul in Ephesians, to be prophets, apostles, evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, Last time we had communion, Steve was up here and uh, explained about why he wanted to become a member in the church. And if I remember this rightly, and if not, you'll correct me, it was along the lines of, Um, I want to be able to read the Bible and need to read it in community. That's just so true. So much of us have got this tradition of I read the Bible myself, I pray myself, I do this myself. But no, individually it's important, but it's important so that we can do things collectively. We all reach unity together, become mature together, attaining to the whole measure of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning of craftiness of men in their their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, 
We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Love is, as you know, much more than a feeling. Love does not come instantly. Love is something that we have to develop, and we want to see that occur more and more and more within the body. You can have a church, sure, that consists of people like you. You can have a church that consists of people you get on well with, people you connect with. But it will never be the church of Jesus Christ. You're going to have a church where you will go through rough times with people, where you will have ups and downs, where people will hurt you and wound you as the people closest to you in your own family can do so. But that really is the church of Jesus Christ. It's an extraordinary thing. It is an absolutely wonderful thing. It is probably the greatest witness to the gospel when God's people live together in love and in unity. By this, says Jesus, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I think that that is, um, that's what we're aiming for. That's what we are looking for. And I hope that, uh, I believe that God has been working amongst us and teaching us much of this. But I believe that uh, we're seeing that beginning to grow and to develop. I hope you grasp and understand this and don't take this wrong, but I'm not interested in filling this church out with people who want to come here for a Sunday service and go away thinking, that was good. I'm interested in people, and this church being filled, absolutely, but I'm interested, much more importantly, that people come who want to belong to the body of Jesus Christ, who don't want to come to a service, but want to come and serve and play their part and learn from him and learn from one another and share and communicate his grace and his gospel and recognize that the greatest privilege is to be a part of a united body of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Bless it to us. Thank you that we are your body and that your body is not just us, but your people throughout this city and throughout the whole world and throughout all ages. Thank you for the unity of your people. We know that that unity is often disrupted by the evil one and by our own stupidity and sin. But Lord, help us to lift our eyes away from ourselves and to look to you. It's not our body. It's not our church. It's yours. And we rejoice in that. And we honor and worship you. And we honor and recognize one another as being part of your body. And may that be true for every one of us. May we not sin against your body. May we not seek to disrupt it or hurt or to wound. May we not withdraw. May we not moan or complain. May we not be idolatrous, turning away after other gods. But may we serve you and serve one another as we do so. In your name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. 
For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, as well as Christian commentary on the latest current affairs in Scotland, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.